Thanks for the welcome, Pastor Dexter. That was really nice. Uh, the reason I bring them along actually is because if I don't, we're really scared we'll get mugged on the side of the road because we're from Mirabuka. But, um, but it is, it, it's a pleasure being here. And, and I actually had a chance to share at the camp that happened over the weekend. And uh, before we start, I really just want to say one thing uh, about the community here. I really see that there is something very special about the community um, and the church here in that you are such a welcoming and hospitable community. And it's so amazing to see. And uh, sometimes, you know, when we, we're with our family, like we, we can only see all the bad points. You know, we don't get to see all the really amazing good things that, that we have there. Um, but coming from the outside in, uh, it is such a blessing. And honestly, it was such an honor and blessing to spend some time with some young people that I could see were, were crying out for God and really yearning for God. So I really want to say thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. And, um, and honestly, probably the best young group of people I've ever hung out with south of the river. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. Uh, we're the best. No, I'm joking. Uh, anyway, so tonight I want to speak from John chapter 4. And um, as these guys know, John is my favorite gospel and book of all time. I love it. Uh, I always speak from it. So they've probably heard this and they get sick of it. But I'm glad that I can speak to a new bunch of people from the book of John. And, uh, and, and the theme of the camp actually uh, over the weekend was to be unashamed of the gospel. To be unashamed, and I wanted to carry that on tonight, and it was so amazing in the time of worship when uh, Chris led, and, and he talks about oceans, and he talks about that in this community here, there are people that God are calling deeper, calling deeper, but what is that calling? And what we find out, what we found out over the, over the weekend is that our purpose as the church, our purpose as children of God, our purpose as individuals, but also as the body together is to reveal and show God's love to the world. That's our purpose. Through what we say, through what we do, that's our purpose, right? Another word for it is evangelism or gospel sharing. But how do we gospel share? How do we evangelize effectively? So this more, uh, tonight I want to look at John chapter 4. Often, this is my favorite passage of all time, the woman by the well. But I never ever read the bit that I'm sharing from tonight. I always just read the first bit, the awesome story. She has this encounter with Jesus and I close the Bible. I'm like, amen, I'm that woman and now I'm saved. And I go to bed and I feel really good. But tonight we're going to look at the, well, what, what follows up, right? What happens in, and I want to look at three observations uh, from that text tonight. The very first is, how do we effectively share the gospel? That's number one. Number two, why do we share the gospel? And lastly, what stops us from sharing the gospel? What is it that actually stops us from sharing the gospel? Because in reality, as a church, I think we do quite a good job. But as individuals, do we go out every day and do we share the gospel? Are we sharing the gospel with people that don't know God yet? But even with our friends that already know God, what is stopping us? So we start with how do we effectively share the gospel? And I think this is a perfect picture of that. But uh, I'll give you some context. So there's this woman. It's a very well-known story, but this is a, she's a Samaritan woman. And she's a woman that most likely at that time was a prostitute. So she's Samaritan. She's a woman. She's a prostitute, right? And she's at this well and she's trying to fish for water. And here comes along Jesus, a man that is Jewish, and is a teacher of the law. So by every standard, socially as well as spiritually, they are totally separated, totally apart. Jesus being up here and the woman being down here. 
But something crazy happens. Something unbelievable happens. Jesus goes up to this woman and he starts to talk to her. He starts to interact with her. That's the first crazy thing that happens because by all right, he should not be talking to her. You know, she should be totally avoiding him. If he goes anywhere, she should be moving away. And yet Jesus approaches her first. The next crazy thing that happens is he starts offering her something. He starts offering her salvation in the form of the water of life. He starts talking about salvation. Something that is very much unachievable for her as a Samaritan, as a non-Jew, as a Gentile. And then lastly, lastly, he reveals to her in verse 26 that he himself is the Messiah. That he lets her know something that at, up until that point he had been trying to hide from the rest of the world. He lets her know something very intimate about him. That he is the saviour of the universe. That's unbelievable. But we start at verse 28, and this is where we read, and it goes, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. So all these crazy things happen, and the first thing that the, the woman does is, you know what she does? She goes back to the town and she says, You guys aren't going to believe what happened. Something crazy happened. Have you ever had that moment? Right? We all do it, right? You see something crazy and who do you call your best friend? And you say, you have to see this. You know, we do it really regularly now because we have, you know, all of those meme pages and stuff and you're just constantly sending. Right? You got to see this. You got to see this. You got to see this. For me personally, I think the last time that it's happened to me is I am a huge basketball fan. Anyone a fan of basketball in here? Yeah, yeah, some of us, some of us. I don't know how much Indonesians play basketball because you weren't in the World Cup, unlucky. But, uh, but Australia was, right? We're all Australian. Woo, yeah, Australia was. Um, I love the World Cup, you know? And normally, look, normally, you know, I'm, I'm pretty racist, right? Normally I'm like, oh, Australia this, Australia that. But as soon as it's any World Cup sport time, oh, I'm bleeding green and gold, you know? I love Australia. Yeah. Reciting the second, the second chorus of uh, Advanced Australia Fair. Yeah, I know it. You know, I love Australia. And, and one of my favourite Australian players actually is, um, is Paddy Mills. Right? Paddy Mills, he, was an N- uh, he is an NBA player, but uh, he doesn't play as many minutes any- anymore. Everyone thinks he's old. Everyone thinks he's over the hill. But then it comes time for Australia to play internationally. And Paddy Mills, he shines like no other. And they had this exhibition match with America, and the very first one didn't go so well, you know, and they lost. And then the second one, guess what? Spoilers, if you haven't watched it yet, you're not going to. But they won. You know, we're all messaging each other. You, got, you have to see this. Australia's got to win this year. We're the best team in the world. Don't look up who went for America. It doesn't matter. Australia is the best. And, and, and we just started, we came into the tournament, and we just started winning. And winning and winning. And I have a couple of other friends. Um, Alex is here too, but we're in a group chat. And, and I have another mate who's obsessed with basketball. And every day he's posting. He's like, guys, Australia's playing right now. Australia's playing right now. And it gets to the point where America gets kicked out. So we're better than America, right? We're better than America. It's proven. You're only as good as your last game. So we get into the semifinals. 
And because we're better than Americans, we've beaten them. And also we've gotten so far undefeated, right? Semi-finals undefeated. There's no way we can lose. So we versed the only other team that could possibly challenge us. And it's Spain. And the whole time, every single quarter, like we were up to every single quarter, um, Adam's messaging the group and he's like, guys, you got to check now. It's third quarter now, fourth quarter now. You won't believe it. And he's just messaging into the group. And then I was actually at the camp and I was like, I didn't get to watch it too much. But that night I laid down and I Googled it and we lost double overtime. We lost double overtime. But every single second that I had free, I wanted to see it. And Adam, Adam, every second he had free, he was like, you, you got to watch this. He's telling me, he's telling Alex, he's like, you guys got to watch this. And then you knew when we started losing because he just stopped messaging. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's going blank. You got to keep me updated, dude. I'm at a camp, you know? And he stopped messaging. And we get excited for these crazy, unbelievable events because coming in, Paddy Mills was 40 years old. Coming in, Paddy Mills was washed up. He was a substitute player. Coming in, Paddy Mills was a joke to the world. Not to me to the world but Paddy Mills shocked us and stunned us and had an amazing performance see half of you don't watch basketball but now you want it right now you want to see when we see something unbelievable we can't help but to share it we cannot help but to share it and this woman saw something unbelievable saw something amazing she witnessed a miracle And she could not help but to share it. So she picked up her water jar. She went back and she started sharing, 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 sharing. But I love how she ended it. I love what she said afterwards. What did she say? She said, could this be the Messiah? A question. Now, if we read in verse 26, Jesus literally says to her, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he in response to what did she say? I know the Messiah is coming. So he goes, I am the Messiah. So this woman, she already knew who the Messiah was. So then why did she ask her community, the other people, why did she ask them? He could be the Messiah. Could he be the Messiah? Why? It is because this. Could it be that what she's saying is this is, I had an, uh, an unbelievable experience with this man. But, but why don't you check him out? What's your experience with him going to be like? Could he be the Messiah? Why don't you check it out for yourself? Why don't you go there and witness him? And that curiosity that she planted in them caused them as a community to go out there and to look for Jesus. To search for Jesus. And what we see is this. Three observations from this one is this. The first thing that we see is what she shared was a personal testimony of an encounter that she had with Christ. We cannot begin to share about the gospel if we have not experienced the gospel. It is a personal personal testimony. Until you have experienced the salvation and the grace of Jesus Christ, how can we possibly share it? But what she shared happened. What she shared was a reality in her life. See, the church, you know, church, you know, if we get, we talk about churches and, and organizations, we always talk about what's the best way to evangelize? What's the best way we can organize events? What's the best way we can do things? What's the best approach? And the most simple, the most effective approach is literally just saying, not saying, hey, you should believe in Jesus, saying, 
look what Jesus is doing in my life. Could he be the answer for you? Could he be? The second thing we see is this. It is not dependent on expertise or training. Was she a a, a woman that was a Jewish student? Did she learn growing up in the synagogue? No, she was a Gentile. She wasn't even allowed into the temple to praise God. She had a whole discussion with Jesus about what it meant. She was not a woman that was a trained evangelist. She wasn't a woman that goes to Bible college. It was dependent on her encounter with Christ and not on the next place, which means every single one of us who are saved, who have the Spirit, who has an encounter, is able to share the gospel. And none of us are better at sharing than another. We're all able to. Lastly, lastly, what we see is with that question is her approach was so, so, so smart because it was non-offensive, but it was challenging, right? Why don't you check it out for yourself? Why don't you have a look if he is your answer? Because he's my answer. Because he saves me. Because he did something unbelievable in my life. Why don't you check it out? She didn't Bible bash them. She didn't force them into doing something they were uncomfortable with. She just challenged them by showing what was happening in her life. And I really believe that this is one of the most effective ways of being able to share the gospel. And how we as a church are able to be his hands and feet to share what is happening in our lives, where Christ is, what he is doing. So just speak it out. Secondly, we go to why. Why do we share the gospel? And we see in verse 31, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus goes, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finished his work. We normally read this and because we, we know that Jesus is infallible, he's the best. So we never look at fault with Jesus. We always look at fault with the disciples. But I want, I want us to take a moment and put ourselves in the shoes of a disciple. Say you've got a friend and you really care about them and you see they're working really hard. You know, Chris or Gershom, they're working hard at camp and at worship and they're working all day, all day, all day, right? Gershom's like practicing all the songs. He's writing all the notes for his message and Katika just comes up to him and like, hey, have a piece of cake. And Gershom's like, I've got food already that you don't know about. <laughs> now, 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 now. If, if, if Gershom told you that story and Katika told you that story, I don't care who told you that story, whose side are you going to be on? You know what I mean? You're going to be like, Gershom, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's like, they're all hungry, they're all working together, and they're like, oh, Jesus is stressing out, we better get him some food. And it's like, did he sneak his own food? Not only did he reject their food, but it was almost like they're like, did he have his own food and not even share it with us? You know what I mean? Jesus, what are you doing? We read this, and what we see is, it's so crazy. Jesus is like, I care about you, and you're being real rude right now. Right? And we look at it. We're like, what's Jesus doing? How can anybody possibly defend Jesus' actions here? But what we see when we read this, what we see really when Jesus is emphasizing something, when he's really making an aggressive point, 
out of something you don't need to do, is that we see that Jesus is telling the importance of sharing the gospel. See, Jesus came to this woman with good news. He was sharing the gospel to her. And when the disciples asked him to stop, which he had been sharing the gospel all afternoon because after her, the other community came and he was sharing the gospel with them. And, and they were like, stop, just eat. You need to take care of your body. He goes, no, no, no. This is more important than food for my body. This is food, because he's comparing it, for my spirit. For my spirit. So what do we see here? Firstly, we see that the food of the spirit is evangelism. And what does food do? It sustains our life and it helps us grow. If we want to grow spiritually, a huge aspect of that is if we're able to share what Jesus is doing. Jesus continues to overflow his grace on our life. But if we as a church, as a people, as individuals don't share that, don't reveal that, don't show that, then it's like we're just, all I want to eat, but I don't want to do anything. It is such an important part of our growth as people to share the gospel. It is so important. It helps us grow. It sustains our life. But the second thing we see that it is natural, right? We don't ever plan to eat. Eating is like sleeping or breathing or drinking water. We just have to do it. And, and Jesus, he compares this eating and this food to evangelism. Now, let's take that into account. If I was like to you, hey, you know, you're like, hey, when are you planning to eat? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, me and the guys here, we eat about twice a year. Or, oh, Christmas time's coming. That's a really good time. I better plan with my friends. We're, we're going to go eat then. You'd be like, this guy's looped it. You look at my shape, you definitely know I eat a lot. <laughs> I love it, actually. Love food. We don't plan to eat. Yet when we talk about evangelism in a church setting, we say, okay, we're, we're, oh, let's have two evangelistic events a year. Let's have four. Well, we, let's do it during Christmas time. Let's do it during Easter. Now, I'm not saying that these events are bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it because they do help us. They're a great environment that we can introduce to the community. But, but gospel sharing, sharing what is happening in our life should be natural, should be constant, should be just like eating food. You just got to do it. Now, if that is the case, if it's natural and we have to do it, then the question we've got to ask, and the last question that I'm asking for tonight is, what stops us from sharing the gospel? If sharing the gospel is natural, why is it that we're sometimes doing things that are unnatural? What is possibly stopping us from doing something that is so natural for a Christian? What is stopping us from sharing the word of God? Let's read from verse 35. So they, you know, they, they were talking, they were like a bit hurt by what Jesus said. And so Jesus tries to explain himself further. Don't you have a saying, Jesus says? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. 
So what we see is this. To get them to understand and to get us to understand, Jesus uses this analogy of farming. Now, in the modern day and age, right, agriculture isn't as needed for everyone as before. So not a lot of us might get farming analogy. But I recently started farming at my own home. Like I recently started growing vegetables and stuff. Uh, And I'll tell you this, the first batch were terrible. You know, you see the normal apples in the supermarket and they're red and they're nice and they're plump. My apples were like small and like sandy and white. And then I was like, well, you know, what could possibly happen? I ate it and it, I was like, okay, I see why apples are the symbol of poison. You know what I mean? It was, (laughs) it was honestly like eating dirt. I was like, I put dirt on the ground and then it grew into lumps of dirt. It was so bad. But over time I got better. Over time I got better. And, um... But, but the people of the time, the Jewish people, they were very big into agriculture because they were nomadic and they had just settled and, and so they had learned about agriculture and taking care of the people and they were very into farming. And so Jesus used an analogy that they all got. But we'll try and explain it here so that we can all get it. Um, he goes, you know, don't you know this? Like everyone says it. Every Jewish guy says it. You know, it's still four months to harvest. So what he was saying was this was, see, normally in the process, in the process of farming, you have a period where you sow. So you plant the seeds and a period where you harvest all the crops, right? And then so you get one farmer friend, right? And he, he walks to the other farmer friend's house and he goes, hey man, you excited for the harvest? And the friend's like, what? It's still four months to the harvest, right? Uh, so you don't get to yeah, We're excited. We're excited. <laughs> so this is the thing. When, when you have a farm, right? When you have a farm and it's this plot of land and you get this ox and you kind of, you dig up the ground, what you do is then you spend like a whole week and you're just planting seeds, if you look at the field after you planted the seeds and before you planted the seeds, do you know what is noticeably different? Nothing. <laughs> it's still a patch of land. There is nothing different. But you spent a whole week's of work. Now, if you worked on something for a whole week and then, you know, at school or something, your teacher goes, hey, what do you have to show? Oh, here, miss, nothing. <laughs> Here's the week of nothing I'm going to give you. What's your teacher going to say? You know what I mean? So, no one's happy to sow. You know why people are happy? When they get to reap, when they get to collect the harvest. Why? Because that's big dollars. Right? That means food for my family. That means I'm going to be okay. But when you ask that question, when they're asking the question, when one friend asks another friend, hey, are you excited? And he goes, it's still four months, man. It's me trying to hold back my excitement. You know why? Because in that four months to harvest, anything can happen. A storm can come and wipe all of it away. You know, the des- you know, a famine can come and no water and then the odor dies. And bugs can come and, and it can eat up all your crops. All these things can happen. So you're not excited yet. You're not happy. You're waiting. You're anxious. You're scared. You know, I was growing these, um, these giant uh, cucumbers. Cucumbers. Now, what's the other cucumber that you can cook? Not cucumbers. What you got? Zucchinis. That's right. I was growing these... Um, <laughs> These cookable, cookable cucumbers, also known as zucchinis. <laughs> I was growing these zucchinis, right? This actually happened recently. I wasn't that sad because it's happened before, so I just expected depression. But, <laughs> but I was growing these zucchinis, and then we recently got two puppies, and they're a little bit wild. No, not ah, not ah, terrible. <laughs> we got these two puppies, and they're a little bit wild. So, like, if you don't play with them, they get too much energy, and and they just go out and they ruin everything. So these two puppies, every day I'll come out, and as I come out to the door, they're like, they really like to be held, so that they're like begging me to be held. But like, I really don't want to 
pat them too much because I'm really out there to check on these um, zucchinis, right? So I come out and I'm like, okay, get out of my way, get away. And I'm like, oh, baby zucchinis, I love you. You're growing up so great. <laughs> and, then, and then these dogs, because I've been so obsessed with these zucchinis, me and my dad, they then start I'm like, oh, what's so special about those zucchinis, <laughs> right? So I leave the home, I'm gone. And I come back and they've bitten up all my zucchinis. And in that moment, I read this passage and I felt, the anxiety and the depression of a farmer. And I totally understood this passage and what it meant to be so nervous when you're like, dude, it's four months till the harvest, bro. Can you relax? Can you stop asking me if I'm excited? You don't get joy. You don't get happiness until you see a harvest. That's what Jesus was saying. But he goes, but, but, he pauses them and he goes, that's normal farming. That's normal harvest. But in the kingdom of God, he says, and if we look at this in verse, verse 36, he goes, Whatever's happening, right, it happens so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So that they may be glad together. Normal, in traditional farming, only the reaper's glad. Only when you reap, when you collect, you're glad. But in the kingdom of God, both the sower and the reaper is glad. What do we see about this? We see this. It means that not we don't collect the harvest. We don't do things. We don't go to church. We don't preach about the gospel so that we can receive some sort of joy. We do it from a place of joy, right? You do it because your heart is filled with joy. Not because, oh, if I save that one person, better house in heaven, right? That's not true. Sorry. That's not theological. That was a joke. No one, um, no one kicked me out. Everything we do, Jesus is saying, as a Christian, as a follower of God, as a son and daughter of God, we do from a place of joy. So, gospel sharing, we do from a place of joy. If we do everything from a place of joy, what stops us from sharing the gospel? What stops us, church? Simply a lack of joy. Simply a lack of joy. Now, you say, Joseph, that's not true at all. I don't share the gospel because I'm full of fear. Right? I'm scared about what people will say about me. I'm scared about what people will think. I'm scared about the way, the climate of Christianity at the moment. I'm scared. What if they ask me about homosexuality? What if they ask me about the government? Same-sex marriage. Sleeping before marriage. What if they ask me about all these hard questions? Am I going to hit my kids? What if they ask me all these things that are so difficult? And as a Christian, I, I, I don't even know where I stand. How then will I share the gospel? I'll just make it worse. Or what if, nah, I don't share because I'm bitter. Or I'm judgmental. There's no way they, there's, there's just no way they would accept God. I'm just in an environment at work where it's just tough. No one's godly. Except me. I better get out of there. <laughs> no, these people aren't the same. <laughs> you know? My boss, he is such a jerk. He won't let me have extra time off when I've already used it all. <laughs> no, no, there's no way. He doesn't understand the concept of grace. I can't, I can't explain it to him. What if you're 
just apathetic. We live in a society where we've got so much on our plate that we simply do not care. And what I've got to tell you is this, is no matter where it's coming from, all of it is simply from a lack of joy, from a lack of understanding that our salvation brings awe and joy and it is an event that is unbelievable. We want to start sharing the gospel. It is sharing what is happening in our life, right? And if we look at what is happening in our life, what Jesus has done, and it does not shock us to the bone, then we can't possibly think about sharing it because it's not exciting, not unbelievable. When was the last time you opened the Bible? You know, the verse that Gershom quoted today, where while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you read that. And you said, I can't, I can't begin to wrap my head around it. I can't begin to believe what is happening. Not just the fact that Christ, Jesus Christ, who is God, saved me, but that He constantly, constantly every day through the Spirit is allowing me in my heart and my brain to believe in Him. Guys, that's a miracle. Every single person sitting here, the fact that you're here and that you raised your hand once in your life, that's a miracle. That's breathtaking. It says all of heaven celebrates when one person enters the kingdom of God. And we sit there and we act like it's normal. Like it's meant to be. Like someone goes, hey, you're a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. Was the way I acted. The fact that we're Christian is a never, never, ever, ever a guarantee. It is a total act of miracle. It is totally unbelievable. And that is the joy of salvation. See, we've all received salvation, but sometimes we lose the joy. Sometimes when we go through life, certain things get bigger. And we lose what really took our breath away. And so we sit down and we're unable to share the gospel. And we say, it's on Dexter. He's good at it. He's trained. Why don't he share the gospel? Why don't he go to my workplace or my school? I mean, I come here and I sit and I listen to him. Salisi could do. <laughs> Pull your weight, Dexter. Come on, man. No, I'm joking. Dexter carried me in a basketball game yesterday, so I shouldn't be saying that. But we, we push it on to someone else. And what we don't see and what we don't realize is somewhere we've lost that joy. So what can we do? If it's not about how much we know or how much we do, if it's all simply about what God has done and us recognizing that, what can we do? And for that, I want to read a psalm about David. And I'll give you some context. Is, is Psalms 51. And in this Psalms, David actually, he, um, the moment he wrote this Psalms is this. If, if you don't know, David is this king. He was probably the greatest king of Israel. Uh, the Bible writes about him as a man that follows after God's own heart. Almost faultless. Almost. Except for one incident. Not a biggie. But what actually happened was this. was He, um, he saw a woman 
bathing. Just standing there. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Saw this woman bathing. And, um, and, he, uh, and he, uh, his eyes were full of lust. So he goes, oh, I'm going to have that woman, right? David happens to be Australian in this story. Um, and he, and he, he, he wants to go after this woman, but he finds out this woman is married. So he thought, I'm the king. I'll do it anyway. So he seduces and sleeps with this woman. A terrible act of sin. And I'll ask Chris up too. Um, a terrible act of sin. And, um, and, he, uh, and then he, to cover up all his tracks, he goes, oh, I've done a terrible thing. What else can I do that is also terrible to cover up this first terrible act? So he kills her husband. <laughs> right? But he doesn't just, he isn't simply like, let's send an assassin. No, he goes, he's like, let's kill her husband in the way with the most effort that includes the most amount of people. So he sends his whole army, they're already fighting, but he sends his whole army out. And he goes, in the last moment, everyone pulls back. And so he's by himself. And he's dying. Oh, he died in war. (laughs) Oh, I've got to comfort this woman who just lost her husband. So he does this terrible act, right? And, and, and the reason why he kills her husband is because, is because he wants to cover up all the tracks. And so he, he feels like he can actually do it. And he feels like, oh, no one found out. So he's feeling pretty good about himself. And then a prophet of the Lord named Nathan, he goes, hey, man. He comes and he's like, I've got to meet up with you, David. And David's like, sweet, what does God want to tell me? And he goes, hey, you know that thing that you did that you thought no one knew? Well, actually, God knows. And I know. And now you know that I know which means God knows, right? And David in that moment, getting caught out and knowing that God, the God who he had promised to serve and follow, the God he promised to stand for, the God that his own heart was chasing after, he let that God down in that moment when he was so broken and he realized that he had nothing left. He fell on his knees and he cried and he wrote this Psalms. He wrote it. This was David at his worst. Now, I'm sure in this room, there's no one that's cheated and then also killed the partner of the person they cheated with. So none of us are in a situation as bad as David, right? But in David's worst, he writes this psalm and we'll start at verse 10. But he's on his knees and he's crying. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew. So he had it before, but he wants it again a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me and he's just crying at this moment because he just knows I messed up and I feel so distant from God And when I was so in awe of all the magnificent things that God did when he helped me slay a giant when he protected me from a king when he made me king I forgot that. I lost that awe. I forgot that God is a God of miracles, that He picked me. All my brothers were older. All my brothers were better. I was forgotten and yet God sought me out and picked me. That's a miracle. And I forgot that. And He wrote this and He said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain it, to sustain me. The most amazing thing. So we come and we think that gospel sharing is about us, about what we can do, about how we can do it. But gospel sharing is about what Christ has done, about what He is doing. 
And if we would simply look at Christ and be in awe and be amazed, it fills us with joy. We can't help but talk about it. We can't help. You're not going to believe what, what happened this weekend. Hey, Shane, you're at uni? So what'd you do this weekend? I went to camp, man. You're not going to know what happened, dude. It's so crazy. We're not going to believe what happened. We're gonna, it's going to take our breath away. But in David's weakest moment, what did he do? He simply asked, Church, we have a God that is so gracious, so amazing that... Can your head wrap that he would, that Jesus would become flesh, human? He's God. He's God. And he chose, he chose to be, to be able to be killed. He chose that. It's like every good option, God, pick any of them. One terrible option, God. Oh yeah, let, let me go with that. Let me go with being able to be killed as one of my traits. And he chose that. Why? For us. For us. For us. No, for us personally. For me. For Maddie. For Gershaw. For, for me. For you. And even when we forget, even when we forget His sustaining grace, His grace that sustains us, church, even when we forget, even when we say, my work's more important, my life's more important, my family's more important, all of this is more important, God, I'll wait for later. Even when we forget all the amazing things He's doing and that He's done, He says, cool, I'll wait. Just ask. Just ask. Just ask. If that is not just one more amazing, unbelievable thing that he's doing, I can't tell you what is. So church, in this time, I'm going to ask that we close our eyes. I'm going to be honest with you that coming into this uh, tonight, I had just come back from camp, but uh, the, the week before was tough for me. And um, even as I was, I, was, I was speaking here, I was so challenged. I was asking myself, when was the last time I sang the song, the song Extravagant or I read the Bible and I just couldn't help but jump for joy? I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. When did it become so normal for me? And so tonight I want to pray together with you, but know this, that I am no better than you and I am standing with you now with my hand raised. But if you in this place, like myself, have somehow just forgotten, gone busy, or some bitterness or some resentment has gotten in the way, and somehow we've forgotten the miracle of salvation, and we just want to ask God tonight, God, please restore my joy. Then I ask that you stand with me. In a couple of moments, and we're just going to pray together that God restores it. That God 
brings us to a place where we're so in awe again, where our breath is taken away. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask that you stand now. Just stand with me and say, God, I just want my joy restored. And I promise you that you won't be able to help, but you'll just share. You will just share. I guarantee you that. Awesome, awesome. I'm also standing and I'm just going to pray. Feel free to stand at any moment. As we pray, Lord, Father, we thank you that you are so good, that you are so great, that you are so amazing. And yet you chose to make yourself understandable. You made yourself seen. You made yourself known to us that when we were distant to you, when we were still sinners, you came and you said, I will save you. I am the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that what seems so good to be true is in fact true. Thank you, God, that you are so amazing. We praise your name. We pray now, not that you make us better at sharing the gospel, but that you allow us to remember your goodness and you allow us to have a spirit that sustains that so that we do not forget so that we do not tire but that we can continue to share to the world what you have done in us and for us in the name of Jesus we say Amen Church, let's stand and as we sing this song, you don't have to sing, but what I would like to do is if you can just take a moment to reflect on these words and to really experience it, not just say it, not just hear it, but experience it in our hearts. And if we cannot, then just ask God.